0: Enduring to the end. <laughs> ah, I, uh, Brother Tim asked me if this was going to be an encouraging message tonight. Uh, and, and, and it is. I believe it will be. Uh, the, the title sounds negative, but I believe the message will be encouraging to us, so uh, don't get scared because of the title. Um, <clears throat> the title is, though, the title is Two Wrong Concepts That Hinder Our Prayers. And the reason, I know that sounds negative, but the reason I think this will be encouraging is because when we get these things right, it will help us immensely how we approach God about things. And so I think this will be encouragement to you tonight. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8. And Before we begin, let's open a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you again in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that we have access to you through that name. Lord, we are nothing, and uh, Lord, we have nothing to offer you except our obedience, and uh, Lord, we thank you for saving us and looking down upon us in mercy and grace, and Lord, if uh, you just help us to keep our eyes on you and look unto Jesus all our days, Lord, uh, not just this year, as we finish out this year, but Lord, help us to make that a lifelong habit. Lord, thank you for your book. And thank you for the fact that you left us this book to know about you and what you expect of us. Help me now, again, as I bring forth the words of this book, Lord, that it would be clear, that it would be accurate, that it would be right, and that it would be helpful to these people and to me also, Lord. And we pray that you would be glorified and honored. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read a story here that's pretty familiar, and I will say this as well. any of the points I make tonight, no one's going to be like, ah, I never saw that. I never knew that. That's not going to be that kind of message. But what I'd like to do is take these things that we know and just take a fresh look at this through an illustration out of this passage. And, you know, Peter's told us that, uh, you know, uh, he wanted to stir up the people that he wrote to, to stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. And he said that even though you know these things, I'm bringing them back to your remembrance. So like I said, there's not going to be anything, you're not going to be like looking, there's not nothing new here tonight, I don't think. Um, and uh, I think the problem is that sometimes we, including myself, we act as if we are ignorant of these truths. And we don't want to do that. We want to we um, act in a way that is helpful. And like I said, this is, we're going to see illustrated out of this passage two wrong concepts that we sometimes apply to our prayers, at least I did. Um, And I'd like to look at that and see what the Lord would have us to do with these things. So let's start and read the the context here in Luke chapter 8. And starting in verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee, and press thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, Go in peace. Now, before we continue the passage here, I just want you to catch what's going on here. Jairus has come to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, my daughter is sick. She's dying. Would you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yes, I will. And so as he's going there, the people are just, just you know, sometimes he fed 5,000 plus people and the people are just thronging him. And he's, it's obviously making it difficult for him to progress down the streets. That's slowing him down. And then this thing happens. This woman comes along with the issue of blood uh, and it stops the whole procession and Jesus, you know, stops us, who touched me, and we go through the whole thing there, she's healed. But think about Jairus in this case. Jairus just came to Jesus and said, would you heal my daughter? And he says, yes. He's like, okay, good. Jesus is coming to my house, my daughter is going to be okay. And then this thing stops the whole progression. And, it, you know, we always think about the woman that got healed here, but think about where Jairus is off to the side, just thinking, Come on, why are you wasting time with this woman? I got my daughter sick. Think about this. And then the the, the whole thing finishes up with the woman, but then this happens. Verse 49 While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. And just imagine in Jairus' heart, just like, just how that thing, how it just fell. He's like, you know, oh, we had, if this, we hadn't had this disruption and stopped the thing, if there wasn't so many people slowing Jesus down. And, and can you just imagine in his mind and now in his heart, his whole world is crashing down because his daughter is dead? If anybody, any of you, those that have kids, just imagine that. And for a second there, there was a glimmer of hope because Jesus was coming to heal his daughter. But now, here's the news from the one from his house. And here in this verse is where we find the two wrong concepts about how we approach the Lord with our needs. Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Now let's finish reading the context for anybody that's not as familiar with it. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, weep not, She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Now, I want to bring you back to where Jairus was there when the messenger came to him. Here he is. For For a moment in time, he had some hope Jesus is coming to heal my daughter. And then the messenger shows up. And the messenger tells, gives them a message with two parts. And in those two parts are ways that I will admit that I myself approach the Lord incorrectly in my prayers and my needs. And I suspect that other people have as well. The two parts are this. And the first part is this Thy daughter is dead. What's the guy saying to Jairus? There's no more hope. There's nothing else that can be done. You know, while your daughter was alive, maybe there was a chance, maybe there was some hope, but now there's no hope. There's nothing that can be done. And we are often daunted when we come up against a situation in which there is no known solution. But let me tell you something. We don't need to know the solution for God to fix the problem. Look what they said. Look what the people said when Jesus came in and said, Oh, she's just sleeping. In verse 53, they laughed him to scorn, knowing they knew she was dead. They know there's nothing else can be done. They're, they're, you're dead. That's it. The, death is the end. Except when Jesus shows up. And that's where we, we come into this thing. We have a problem, and we can't see. How any way in the world that this can be resolved? We have no no there's no known solution to man how this is gonna get resolved. But that is not necessary. We don't need to know the solution for God to work on our behalf. Think of this. Um, this is not, this is not see Jairus in Jairus' mind, his solution to the problem was Jesus is gonna come, my daughter's sick, Jesus is gonna come and heal her, and everything's gonna be fine. That wasn't what God planned. That wasn't God's, how he was going to work this scenario out. And that's our problem. We have our, in our mind how God needs to work this scenario out and everything will be okay. But sometimes we just got to give in to what God's trying to work in our lives and encounter these situations in which there's, quote, no hope and trust God. Because God can work on our behalf, be on our behalf whether or not we see a solution. And I wanna want to give you some scriptural admonition about this. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says this Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. People have called this God's telephone number, Jeremiah 3, 333, 333 3, 3 there, being God's number. Call unto me. And what, what does God say in that passage? He says, I'm going to show you things you don't even know that I can do. Because you might look at the situation and say, there's nothing else that can be done. Nothing else can be done with this situation. And God says, ah, <laughs> I, know, I know I can do some things with this situation. You might not know what I, what I can do, but I know what I can do with this thing. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, we have our own mind. We, this is how God's got to fix this problem, and I'll be fine. And God says, I got things I'm going to do for you beyond what you can even think or imagine. You're not even thinking about asking me for this, but he says, I want you to ask me. Call unto me, and I'll show you some things that you don't even know about. And that's what he did here with Jair- Jairus. Jairus is like, well, he's going to heal my daughter, and everything's fine. And then the guy comes and says, your daughter's dead. What's he telling Jairus? Jesus can't help you anymore. There's no more solutions. Not the case, not the case. We saw what he did with with Jairus' daughter. Um, Look at Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Um, Just for context, I'll kind of, we'll fill you in. This is Paul. Uh, He's been being carried in a ship, Um, in chains to Rome. And they encounter a storm. And this storm's been going on for a while now. And we're at the third day by the time we reach verse 19 of Acts 27. Um, Look at 19. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. You see, for a while, these ship ship people were like, they're rowing, okay, we'll row this thing to get it to land, we'll get out of the storm. Okay, that's not working. Okay, let's throw out the things that are in the ship. That's, you know, that's worked in the past for other people. Uh, Let's undergird the ship with helps, and let's see if we can get that through. And by the time they get to verse 20, they've done everything they can, and there's no more hope. This is, we're not getting out of this alive. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But look at this. How did Paul respond to this? But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to gain this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Why? For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee, Wherefore, look at this, sirs, be of good cheer, why? For I believe God. Paul had a relationship with God where he knew that, hey, the shipmates say there's no hope, but I, I know God, I believe God. I believe what God can do. When we look at something and say there's no hope for this situation, God says, I can get you through it. I can, I can make the resolution for this situation. Paul said, I believe God. Why would Paul believe God? Well, there's plenty of scriptural examples for Paul to, to, to look to. Think about this. When Israel was cornered against the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army behind them, Red Sea in front of them, God parts the waters and lets them go through. You think that's what they were figuring on doing to get out of that situation? I doubt it. But God opens the waters there and they walk through on dry land and he closes it behind them on Pharaoh's army. Abraham and Sarah, almost 100 years old Abraham is. Sarah's 90 years old, too old to have a son. There's no hope for that. Yeah, there is. When, there's God, when God is involved, there's hope. Isaac was born to them in their old age. Um, think about the story of Elisha in the book of 2 Kings. And his servant were surrounded by the host of the Syrians. And the servant says to, says to Elisha, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And uh, God, uh, Elisha says to him, God, open his eyes. Let me see. And he opens up his eyes. And there's the, around the whole city, chariots of fire there. And he delivers that whole Syrian army into the hand of two men. Three Hebrew children who would not bow to the king's command. God met them in the fire that they were cast into and delivered them out of it. You think Paul was thinking back to those things, those hopeless situations that God delivered men out of? I'm sure he was. Daniel refused to bow to any other, uh, any other man, any, any man, but pray to God only. When that command came down from the king that he said, oh, you're only allowed to uh, pray to the king for these 30 days. Daniel knew that was against God's law. Daniel's about to become food for the lions. And what does God do? He shuts the lions' mouths. Daniel spent the whole night there, in there, with a bunch of hungry lions. You know they were hungry, too, because when they threw in the other guys that accused Daniel, they broke him in pieces before they even hit the bottom of that pit. God protected him from that. David stood against Goliath, who was a man, his superior in his experience, and in his strength, and his size— and God gave him a victory over that giant with one smooth stone. Do you think that God can work in impossible situations? I do. When, when someone comes to you and says, Thy daughter is dead, when there's an impossible situation in your life and someone says, uh, there's nothing else that could be done, when you look at it and say, there's nothing else I can do in this situation, I want you to remember this, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And he tells us to call upon him and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We need to believe God like Paul did. Um, as far as personal application to us, just, some, just some, some thoughts. You know, I don't know what you're going through, and every day it's something new. You know, I get it. But um, this point means that God has a solution to the financial problem that you see no way out of. God has a solution to a health problem that might have persisted for so long or there's supposedly no cure for. Um, God has a solution and can, is able to bring that soul to Christ who um, you think will never trust Christ as their Savior. I understand that that's their will, but God can work in people's lives mightily. God also has a way of working in people's lives. Maybe there's a, lo- a loved one you have or a friend that has been away from the Lord, and you think it's been so long, they're never coming back to the Lord. God can bring that person back to the Lord if we'll call unto him and ask him to show us some things and work in that, in that situation. God can give you victory in the spiritual battle that you feel like you've been fighting for so long and cannot overcome victory over sin, however you want to look at it, God can give you the solution in those problems. And if God's will is to bring you through those problems, God can give you the grace and the mercy and the strength and the comfort and the peace to make it through those situations. That's our God. That's our God. When when someone says that there's no more hope, no, not with my God. Not with my God. There's hope. Here's some more verses to consider. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, concerning that issue with uh, Abraham and Sarah about Isaac. God said to Abraham uh, Abraham and Sarah, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Rhetorical question, of course not. There's nothing too hard for God to do. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, the Lord said to Jeremiah, behold, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer should be a resounding, no, there is not. There's nothing too hard for God. And Luke chapter 1, verse 37, uh, the angel told Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. So there is, a ho- there is hope and there is a way for God to resolve your solution. If it's in his will to, to resolve that solution, there is a way for it to happen. What did he tell? Look back at Luke chapter 8. What did he tell Jairus when that message came to him? The message came to him and said, Ah, the daughter is dead. There's no more hope. What was one of the first things Jesus said to him? Verse 50, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only. We have a whole book of promises and illustrations on how God can work in impossible situations. And so we saw Paul said, I believe God. And Jesus tells Jairus, when that, when, that, when that message comes and just breaks Jairus' heart, he says, believe, believe only. We gotta believe. We gotta believe what the Lord says, okay? You know, we, we don't believe on some things we make up in our mind, but when we have this book to show us everything that God can do, and we have the promises of God that he does care for us and can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, when we know that God can do the impossible, we don't approach an impossible situation saying there's nothing else that can be done. Because if God's will is so, there is something he can do. There is something he, we can do, but we need to believe what he said in his Word. So the first, first wrong concept about when we approach God in our need and in prayer, the first wrong concept is that there's nothing else that can be done. There's no more hope. That's not true. With God, there is hope. With God, there's hope, and God can do the impossible. Well, what's the second thing? The second wrong concept here that was presented to Jairus. <clears throat> Look back at verse... 49 again, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, thy daughter is dead. So that was the first one. There's no more hope. Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. And the second wrong concept that sometimes might creep into our minds from our own thoughts or from the devil or from other people is that, you know what? God can't be bothered with this right now. Um, Various reasons why we might think this. Uh, it's too big of a problem. We've already dealt with that. God can do anything he wants to do. There's nothing impossible for God. Or maybe it's too small of a problem. It's too insignificant for God to bother with. Or maybe you start buying into the lie that God doesn't care about your situation. You say, oh, that thought group's into your mind, I can't trouble God about this. It's just my, it, God doesn't care about me anymore. Or maybe... And you might sincerely think this. We think, I'm not going to bother God with this because I just I don't deserve him to work on my behalf in this situation. I know what I am. I've done something you know, that displeased God, and I, I'm, just, I'm not even going to go to God because I don't deserve this. Well, that might be true. But God never tells you not to come to him because of that. <clears throat> Look over at Philippians chapter 4. The wrong concept is that God doesn't care. And that is not true. Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says this in verse 6 Be careful for nothing. That means don't be full of care for anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. You got something that's causing you to be full of care right now? It's just weighing you down. It's concerning you. It's troubling you. What does God say? You know what? I just don't have time for that right now. That's not what he says. That's, I got other bigger things I'm dealing with. That's not what he says. You know what? You don't deserve that. I know what you've done. He doesn't say that. He just says, let your requests be made known unto God. You're full of care. Let your requests be made known unto God. In everything, not just the big things, not just the things you think that you have a right to go to God about, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that's the hard one, let your requests be made known unto God. And what's the answer? We talked about this this morning. The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what? It's not too insignificant for God. Maybe you think that's why you can't trouble the master. Don't trouble the master. This is too This is too insignificant. Now he's got bigger things to worry about. No, there's nothing insignificant. God says to take every care to him. Whatever it is in everything, go to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse seven, pretty common verse, well-known verse, I think. He says, casting the ones that I I deem and are important of your cares upon me. No, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. That was one of the other reasons I mentioned you might might think that you can't trouble God about something. He's saying, well, maybe doesn't really care about, care about this situation. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my situation and this problem. What does he say? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you, for he careth for you. Careth for you. Why? Who told you he doesn't care for you? Where'd you get that idea? He that spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. That's what God did for you. That's what God did for me. He didn't even spare his own son. He cares about us. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Look at Luke chapter 12. It's okay to trouble the master. (laughs) It's okay to trouble him with your cares. It's okay to go to him. He wants you to. We're going to talk about this in a second. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 6. The Bible says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Think about that. God says, you ever seen sparrows? You ever seen how many sparrows there are flying around, just, just crowding a tree or on the ground? Thousands, thousands. I mean, He's <laughs> a stupid little insignificant bird. Who cares about a sparrow? God does. And he says this, not one of those sparrows is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye of more value than many sparrows. God cares enough about you to number your hairs, which to me is becoming increasingly less, but, <laughs> but uh, he, he says, if I care about a sparrow, you're, a sparrow doesn't have an eternal soul, you and I have an internal soul that God cares about, and he cares about us far more than a, than a sparrow, and he cares about sparrows. Um, here's, here's the practical application. I'm, I'm going to kind of reveal to you some, uh, an error in my thinking in the past. I kind of never understood prayer, to be honest with you. Um, I thought, you know, well, okay, so something's coming into my life, and now you know I don't believe God orchestrates every single thing. There's things that come into your life because of the wickedness of man. It just shows up. Problems happen. I get it. But you know God God has has allowed that to to happen, and He's aware of what's going on in your life. Um, and I just thought, well, okay, so God is aware of this. God maybe brought it into my life um, intentionally, but God already knows about this. Um, He obviously is trying to teach me something through this, I guess, and. I'll just accept it, and and why do I need to go and ask him to change it? Because he's aware aware of of this thing, and maybe he even brought it into my life for a particular purpose. Why would I ask him, go to him, and ask him to change things for me? I just never got it. Why would I do that? Because this is apparently God's will for my life. And one thing that I understood was, well, sometimes God brings things into your life because you haven't been spending enough time with him, and he wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk to him. Do you realize that when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, what was was he doing with them until they fell? He was walking with them in the garden. And what was the first thing that you see got messed up in the garden? when, When they sinned, that fellowship got severed. And they hid from God. And from that time forward, mankind has been, has his face hid from God because of his sin. But God designed us and created us for his fellowship. And as a Christian, now we've had that that relationship restored by the new birth. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. And yet, sometimes we don't spend a whole lot of time talking to him. And I don't know why it is. We get busy. We get carnal. We think that God can't be bothered. We just don't think about it. And God, I believe one of the reasons he brings things into our lives is because of this very reason. He wants us to ask and talk to him. It causes us to re-fellowship re-fell- with him again. <clears throat> Look at Luke 11, back one chapter from where you are. You know, we, we as Christians ought to be always striving to be close to God um, in our relationship. That's how, we get, that's how we get through this life, by being close to him and letting him guide us. You know, James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Well, how do you draw nigh unto God? Psalm 145, verse 18 says this, the Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him. So I can draw nigh unto God by calling upon him and he'll draw nigh unto me. We're trying to get close to God and God I think sometimes is like, hey man, Dave, it's been a long time since you talked to me. I'm just gonna put this little thing there, disrupt things a little bit and uh, it's not because I wanna hurt you, it's just I I wanna, come on, Talk to me. I know that you're gonna. You'll get eventually get to the point where you realize you can't do anything about it. You're gonna come to me about this. Um, I think that's why God does it. Look at Luke eleven, chapter uh, chapter eleven, verse nine. The Lord tells his disciples. You know, they asked him, saying, "Teach us to pray." Very interesting that he didn't say, they didn't say to him, "Teach us how to pray." He said, "Teach us to pray." Verse one. Verse nine says this. As he's teaching them to pray, he says, "And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you." Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Ask. God, the Lord says, just, just ask. Ask me. It's not a trouble to me. It's not a, you're not troubling the master. Come to me and ask me. I want to talk with you. I want to fellowship with you. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, "Ye have not because ye ask not. Look, that's the first step. I mean, you're not, we're not gonna get anywhere until we go to the Lord with this thing. And we, we gotta get rid of this mindset that maybe we're thinking, oh, God can't be bothered with this. You know, I don't know if you've thought about that, but that's happened to me, okay? It's just like, I, I, this thing is too small, or I just, you know, I don't deserve to go to God with this. God says, come and ask me. Come ask me. Jeremiah 33, 3, we already read it. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The Lord tells people, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come on. We have a relationship with God the Father if you're saved. He's our Father. We have that relationship with, and he wants to fellowship with us. And prayer is one of the ways we do that. You know, we let him fellowship with us and talk to us out of his book. But don't you think it ought to be both ways? And I think sometimes we don't want to trouble God with our situations, possibly, you know. You know, maybe you're not as carnal as I am, but, um, you know, I think we don't, you know, we fall into that, that trap of what, like what the guy told Jairus trouble not the master, don't bother him. Can't, he can't help you anymore, you know. And uh, that's not the case. Our, our relationship with God as a father, we are his children. Look at in the same chapter, Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If we're God's children, think about this if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? You know, those of you that are fathers or mothers, your son says, I got, I, want, I want something to eat. You give him a rock. And that. No. Because no. you care about it. You want to provide their needs. Or if he asks a fish, will he, give, will he for a fish give him a serpent? No. Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. Then he says this, if ye then, being evil that's what we are we're fallen fallen man sinful man evil by nature if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him if we can know how to treat our children with care and love and just give them things just sometimes it's stuff that you don't even need they just you know just it'll make them happy it'll 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 satisfy them if we can do that being sinful fallen creatures how much more can god the just, holy, righteous God looked down on his creation, those that he's redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ as his children and say, they have a need there and I want to help them. Don't think that God doesn't care about our situation. Don't think that it's too insignificant whatever you, you're coming up against to bring it to God. A good father will take care of his children and God is the best father. God is, God is our heavenly father. Look, uh, look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse one, another um, parable about or teaching about prayer. Luke eighteen, one, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. What was the purpose of it? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Um, you know, when someone tells you your daughter is dead, that's about, it's a good time, you feel like fainting. They're telling you there's no hope. It's easy for us in our human flesh to be like, I, I can't take any more. You know, and we might faint, but we're just tired of going to God for something, or we just are, we, we were convinced that God doesn't care. But he said, he spoke this parable so that men would always pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. So she's calling unto this guy, and he's not helping for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, it may take importunity for a human judge to act, but look at this, verse 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The judge of all the earth will avenge his own elect. Now, this, in this passage, the elect is, is the nation of Israel, but we can take application to this. We are God's children. We are his, and our requests do not trouble him. Even though a, a judge might, you don't have to work at him, you know, keep coming to him and saying, God, uh, you know, this judge, let me, you know, avenge me on my adversary like this woman did. God says, I will, I will take care of this thing. We talked this morning about how God's going to write right the balances. He will take care of it. He cares about us. It's not something we're troubling him about. It's not something we're going to trouble the master about. We are God's children. He cares about it. You know, a judge doesn't care. He just, he's got his political things to do, and he's got you know, the only reason he did anything for this woman was because she just kept bothering him. But God actually cares about those that are, that are under him, and he cares, about his, he cares about his children. Look at this. Uh, Psalm. Look at the book of Psalms. I want some reminders for us. Psalms, <clears throat> chapter 86. Maybe you're not dealing with these kind of questions in your mind right now. But you might in the future. You might get to a situation where you're like, God doesn't care about me. How could God care about me if this is happening to me? And I want to remind you that he does care. And you can go to him. And your problem is not too big or too small. And it doesn't matter whether you deserve it or not. If you're God's child, you want to go to him on his terms. He will, he will, he will uh, take care of it. Psalm uh, 86, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. We have a compassionate God. He cares about our needs. We're not troubling him to go to him with our requests. Look at uh, Psalm 111. Just some reminders for us. Psalm 111, verse 4. You know, let's start with verse 2, because this, this, this is good. The works of the Lord are great. Psalm 111, verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Look at Psalm 145, near the end of the book. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord... Sorry, let me let you get there. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. God, you know, the the other gods that have made up gods in this world, they're vicious, they're mean, they're unjust, they're cruel. Our God is full of compassion, Full of compassion. He cares about his children, full of compassion. Um, Look at uh, Lamentations, last verse here. Lamentations. After the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, chapter 3. Verse 22. Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. You're not going to exhaust God's compassion. You're not going to go so many times and God's going to say, "Eh, I'm done with you, I'm not going to help you anymore. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is a God full of compassion, and that is why the lie that we shouldn't trouble the master with our things, that we have concerns, our cares, our burdens, our problems, regardless of the nature of them, that's a lie. It's, it's, it's wrong because God is a God full of compassion. God is a God that cares about the minutest detail. He cares about a sparrow. He cares about you. God is a God that told you to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He said, don't let anything cause you to be full of care. Don't be careful for anything, but let your request be made known unto God. What are the two wrong concepts that were presented to Jairus? You know, Jairus, look, look back at uh, Luke 8. We'll close here. <clears throat> Jairus had a bit of hope when Jesus said he was going to come and heal his daughter. And then things got all turned around in a way he didn't expect. And he was presented with the news, thy daughter is dead. Hey, Jairus, there's no more hope. Jesus can't do anything else for you. This is beyond his scope of ability. No more hope. Trouble not the master. God can't be bothered with your problem right now. And both of those things were incorrect for that person to say. And of course, what do you think that did to Jairus? I'm sure that just just dropped his spirits. It just, just, just wrecked him. What did Jesus say to him? You know, when he said to him, "Thy daughter is dead, he told him to believe only. And when he told him, in response to that message about trouble not the master, he said, fear not, believe only. He said, don't fear. Someone might tell you God doesn't care and that's gonna cause you to be full of fear because now you're in this thing on your own. But that's not the case. Jesus told him, fear not, believe only and thy daughter shall be made made whole. Here's what I want to leave us with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with or what you might deal with in the future. But I want you to understand that, number one, there is never a situation with no hope when God is involved. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And number two, it is not a trouble to him to go to him with your problems. He cares about you. Don't let anybody tell you he doesn't care. Don't let your own mind deceive you into thinking he doesn't care because he cares for us. He admonishes us over and over. Come to me, seek me out, ask me, call upon me. And he, as the consummate perfect father, he cares for his children and is full of compassion for us. So if you're going through something right now that's that's troubling you and you're thinking there's just no way out of this, I want you to remember these two things. Number one, that God can get you out of it. God can give you the solution to that problem. You might not know what it is. You probably don't know what it is. Um, and there's undoubtedly going to be situations that come up in my life and have come up in my life where I didn't know. I didn't know the way out of it. I didn't know what was going to happen. It caused me to be full of fear, like Jairus. And uh, I even questioned whether or not God cared about me in this situation. It's not the case. When we go to God in prayer about these things that burden us, that are caused to be full of care, well, let's remember, there is hope with God and he is a compassionate father that cares about us and we can trouble him about those things. So consider that the next time you're facing those things. Remember, the God that we serve is a compassionate God and he is able to do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm gonna have Eric come in here. We're gonna lead, lead us in a song, number 114.